0: Section forty four of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter number forty four from Colin Campbell. Dear Sir, IN ANSWER TO YOUR EXCELLENCY'S COMMUNICATION OF twenty ninth JULY REQUESTING ME TO SUPPLY ANY INFORMATION IN MY POWER AS TO THE TIME AND CIRCUMSTANCES OF THE FIRST SETTLEMENT AND OCCUPATION OF THE MOUNT COLE COUNTRY, I HAVE GREAT PLEASURE IN MENTIONING SUCH PARTICULARS AS HAVE COME WITHIN MY KNOWLEDGE AS AN OLD SETTLER, ALTHOUGH NOT ONE OF THE FIRST INHABITANTS. I HAVE THE HONOR TO BE WITH RESPECTFUL REGARDS YOUR MOST OBEDIENT SERVANT, COLIN CAMPBELL. TO HIS EXCELLENCY, C. J. LATROBE, ESQUIRE. In October 1838 I left London with my brother, and arrived at Holberton in March 1839 with the intention of proceeding to Port Phillip. In Van Diemen's Land we bought about two thousand sheep, which, after great trouble and delay, we landed at Williamstown without much loss. Many others were not so fortunate, losing half their cargo from stress of weather and close confinement. We also imported from Van Diemen's Land some fifteen horses. "'Our sheep cost us at first about fifteen shillings per head, but prices were then rising rapidly, and the cost of shipment and the risk of loss were great. In the month of July, 1839, I think sheep had reached two pounds per head in Port Phillip. During that winter, flour, owing partly to Monopoly, rose to seventy pounds per ton in Melbourne. The wages of shepherds and hut-keepers reached about forty pounds per annum, and one pound per week was given to extra hands.' The sheep from Van Diemen's land were all scabby, and the disease became much more virulent when they were put in yards in Port Phillip. This was a source of great trouble and expense, and the act then in force prevented sheep from travelling except in February. We therefore spent the winter of 1839 at the Darabin Creek, under canvas on a small scale, and were there assailed by a succession of floods, which continued at intervals until Christmas, on which day I saw a flock of sheep, "'and half a dozen men nearly drowned in the Yarra. "'In summer shearing was got over, "'and the wool sold at high prices, although much damaged, "'about one shilling sixpence per pound in Melbourne. "'Then we explored for a run, "'and my brother, after surveying the then barren plains of the Laudan, "'selected the country at the foot of Mount Cole "'as the best unoccupied tract. "'Thither we proceeded with the usual equipment, "'and in the beginning of March arrived at the fiery creek "'a few miles from the base of Mount Cole.' At that time, the country was occupied from Geelong up to the Trowalla Ranges, but was quite vacant beyond these to the north and west. We tenanted a large tract of country, as it was the fashion then for squatters to occupy the best spots as stations, without much regard to their distance from each other. But our dimensions were shorn by flock-owners from Sydney, who preferred appropriation to original discovery. It was upon this occasion that the Commissioner of the Western District did me the honour of designating me as a shabby Scotchman, although I was not aware of the fact until very lately. In the year 1840 stock began to pass down from the Sydney side by the Major's line, which was then deeply furrowed with dray-tracks, but the plains to the southwest of Mount Cole remained unoccupied, the prevailing feeling among settlers at that time being that they were too bare and uncomfortable for either man or beast. The country at the head of the Hopkins was, however, taken up soon after ours with Sydney flocks. The north side of Mount Cole was also occupied about 1841 with sheep and cattle, and depasturage gradually extended down the Wimmera, reaching Lake Hindmarsh about 1846. It was about 1848 that the Richardson and the Avoca became settled, and a change having come over the seasons, which supplied with water tracts of country which had appeared unavailable to return to Mount Cole. About a year after our first occupation we began to feel settled, having subdued the scab. I was induced, however, very foolishly to sell the greater part of my sheep and run, from an idea that horses and cattle could be managed at much less expense. So they were, but on the other hand they produced a still smaller income, owing to the great depreciation which took place about 1843, and continued for some five years from that time." Wool alone, I may observe, was independent of this change, and the returns derived from this source from England alone enabled the squatters to weather the storm, and the merchants and shopkeepers to carry on their business. Many of the original squatters, however, went down in my neighbourhood, and others took their place, buying stations in some cases at little more than a year's income. Squatters at that time, if they could not provide cash, could only get credit through a merchant, for the banks gave them no facilities otherwise. The result was that a large number of settlers were in receipt of advances which cost them about twenty per cent. It was not, I believe, until within the last five years that they became as a class independent in their circumstances. The natives when we first went to Mount Cole were numerous, but nothing like a census of them was ever taken. When we first camped upon their grounds, as might be expected, they made a demonstration against us by collecting a body of fighting men in our vicinity. It became necessary to dislodge them from their position, but as five or six of us marched steadily up to their camp with the intention of demanding an explanation, they all ran away, and never came round us again for twelve months. We met a black boy, Jackie, however, and induced him to come home with us, and he lived in or about our huts for about three years without ever leaving us for any length of time. He was very intelligent, and proved useful in tracking lost sheep, exploring country, etc., but when he came to a certain age he sought himself a wife, and became a man and a savage. He was always honest and faithful, and at one time incurred some risk from a bush-ranger, who took his horse from him when he was tailing some heifers, and whom he resisted manfully until a pistol was presented at him. From a good many years' experience I can bear witness to the intelligence and good feeling of the blacks, and believe their capabilities to be almost equal to those of Europeans, but their associations from birth upwards are very powerful. I shall never forget a lesson I gave a fine young man, the son of King William, in Geography. When I showed him the map of New Holland, he thought it was a plan of the run. Then I pointed out to him where we were at Mount Cole, and he took it all in. I then showed him the map of Asia, and he understood the relative size of its different parts. I then showed him the map of the world with Asia in it, and he opened his eyes and made exclamations for five minutes together as the new idea flashed upon him. In 1851 I resided for four or five months at the station with Mrs. Campbell, and at one time there were about a hundred natives encamped beside us. I walked through them and introduced Mrs. C. When I came to King William I said, Mrs. C., King W., etc., when he took off a cocked hat and made a neat bow, but added, Borack, Mrs. Campbell, Mrs. Colin Campbell, reserving the former honor for my senior brother's wife when he gets one. FOOTNOTE Borak means no, not so." When I was last at the station, in October 1852, I found that the very high wages given to the whites had caused the services of the natives to be regularly enlisted. About forty thousand sheep were washed by them alone at Mount Cole, wages being given them at the rate of twelve shillings per week, and they went on steadily at the end of shearing. Two or three were receiving one pound a week as bullock-drivers. For ten years previous to this I had seen them earning occasional wages, but I never saw them engaged with such persevering energy as on this occasion. I think, therefore, that good wages would keep the able-bodied men fully employed with an occasional spell, but when they get money the public-houses make sad havoc among them. Our tribe from the first saw very little of the protectors, having to run the gauntlet of the Lauden Blacks to reach Jim Crow but it often struck me that a voluntary protectorate might have been formed in some parts of the country suppose notice to have been given that settlers undertaking the charge of certain natives and certifying that they had been employed by them for so long a time would be entitled to receive blankets clothing etc for their benefit there would have been a great inducement to employ them both on grounds of public duty and private interest at least the disadvantages in their labor would have been somewhat counterbalanced in this way, small parties of four or five might have been assigned to different stations, where habits of civilization would have grown upon them. The gregariousness of the natives has been the source of the strength of their wandering habits, which have prevented them from settling down in families on particular spots. They lived in clans, and their laws were not dissimilar to those of the Scotch Highlanders a century and a half ago. Divide et impera was, I think, the key to their improvement. But the system of protectors in this colony was one which confirmed their gregarious associations. With regard to missionaries, while the collection of a number of Aborigines gives good opportunities, their settlement in distinct places offers a better field for making impressions. In the latter case they would require to be visited where they lived, and it may be hoped that some settlers would take an interest in their eternal welfare. I for one cannot sufficiently condemn myself for the neglect of valuable opportunities, at present I should say the natives are as hopeful subjects for Christianity as many of the whites in the interior. With squatting politics, Your Excellency must have been ere now surfeited, and I have already trespassed enough upon your patience. However, perhaps you will excuse me for enclosing a discourse upon the subject in print, which has been the result of a good many years' study upon this subject. End of section 44.